Well, good morning. What a joy it is to baptize six people this Sunday morning. Isn't that great? Let's give a hand. Today the message is entitled, David in the Cave of Despair. Have you ever been in a cave of despair? You know, what I want to say to you is that if you have never been, you will be. Uh, It is impossible to live life without going through moments where it's dark and alone and confusing and despair. It's a part of our experience. If we study David, he's called the man after God's own heart. How did he respond in those moments that made him a, a man after God's own heart? What did he do? What did he say? Now, you know, one of my favorite things uh, to do is um, somehow Facebook, who is tracking my every move apparently, knows that I love old songs, like the old classic songs, so it, it comes up on my feed. I mean, you know what, a little bit of the Jackson 5 every now and then, I don't know if I can confess that, but I actually saw the Jackson 5 in Manila when I was in high school, if you can believe that. This, this last few weeks, a song came up, and it's a song by Simon and Garfunkel, and it's called The Sound of Silence. Anybody ever heard that song? You, you got to listen to it. It's not, a, it's not a happy song. It is a song written for people in a cave of despair. I'm just telling you. Simon wrote this song when he was 21 years old. And in 1966, this song, as it was released, became the number one hit on the uh, Billboard Hot 100. Why? Because people understand this. People that go through this. Here, here are the lyrics. Hello, darkness, my old friend. I've come to talk to you again. Some of you want to sing, don't you, right now? I'm not going to, though. Simon was talking about the fact that he, he didn't have anybody to talk to. Darkness was his friend. He talks about walking a narrow path. The song goes on, and I mean, it's so insightful for a 21-year-old artist to have written the words he said, but he talks about aloneness, lack of community. It's a quite hopeless song. But the reason it was so popular is that people go through stuff like this. You might be in one of those times right now, times when you are, you're confused and you feel abandoned, betrayed, left all alone. You, you have no idea what the future will be, and you might even question, what, what is my future? We're looking at the life of David, and in Psalm 20, 1 Samuel chapter 22, we find David in the cave of Machpelah. Now, um, here's what's happened. David has gone from the hero of Israel who just defeated Goliath, won many battles, and then there is this song that is crafted, and it's the song that goes like this, 
uh, Saul has killed his thousands and David his tens of thousands. And wow, this, that's a beautiful moment. Saul liked the first part of that song, but when he heard that David has killed his thousands as compared to his, his ten thousands compared to his thousands, it made him jealous and angry. And all of a sudden, David became the number one uh, enemy of Saul. He was paranoid and after Saul, he, 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 he had to leave. I mean, when the spears started flying in his direction, he had no other op, uh, choice but to leave. And so now he has fled Israel, trying to figure out where to go. He decided he's going to go to the stronghold of the Philistines because surely Saul wouldn't go there. And yet when David got there, the, the song had already reached the Philistines. And so they began talking about David. Oh, this is the guy. This is the hero. This is the champion warrior of the Israelites. You know, the one they sing about. Saul has killed his thousands. David is ten thousands. And here David is then brought into the king's presence. And the, the, he, he realizes, oh my I'm not hiding out. This is not a successful strategy. I am in grave danger. I mean, I may be killed in any, at any minute. So David does the most unusual thing to get out of this predicament. He begins to act like a crazy man. He starts drooling all over his beard and, and, and acting erratic and scratching on the walls and the door. And the king says, oh, right, this is the hero of Israel. He looks like a crazy man to me. What, do I not have enough crazies in my kingdom already that you brought one more into my house? And David leaves. And the only place he could go was this cave in the wilderness. So now he's all alone. He's absolutely lost everything. He can't be with his friend Jonathan because he's the crown prince and the king wouldn't have it. He's lost his reputation, he's lost his position, he's lost his place at the king's table. His wife was the daughter of Saul, he lost his wife. Everything has fallen apart, and he ends up in this cave. 1 Samuel 22, verse one, David therefore departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. So my first point is this, because I, I, I hate to tell you this, you need to get Simon and Garfunkel on your, on your playlist. But if you're not in a cave or haven't come just, just come out of a cave, you're headed for caves. How did David behave in a cave? In his confusion, his pain, his despair, David, I mean, he's, you know what he does? He worships. He worships God. Have you ever been in a spot like that where it was just everything was falling apart? Maybe you lost your job or you failed your classes or maybe your marriage has fallen apart or your parents just told you that they're getting a divorce and your world will never be the same. Or maybe one of your parents has gone to prison or maybe you've received a difficult medical diagnosis you don't know how to go forward from there or maybe you just have learned that your child has special needs and your life is forever changed and it's never it's never going to be different this is going to be a part of your life for for now and always and you move toward despair and depression and confusion and you wonder where in the world is god in this moment how could all this be happening 
I mean, David must have thought in that cave, well, I, I mean, I wasn't dreaming. I remember when the prophet came to my house, and, and then, then I was called. That was the last son, and actually, they didn't invite me to this event, but the prophet insisted I come, and then he leaned over, and he anointed me, and he whispered in my ear, David, you will be the next king of Israel. And I was just a shepherd boy. And I remember that the Spirit of God came on me and everything changed. And I, I fought Goliath and I beat him. And it wasn't just me, it was like God was helping me. And then all the battles I, I, I went to fight, I mean, I saw the hand of God working in me and through me. And I've always been a songwriter and a poet, and I love to write prayers, but now all of a sudden, I sense the presence of God even in a more powerful and real way. I didn't do anything wrong. Why am I in a cave? You know, the, the, the truth is this, that you don't have to do something wrong to get in a cave. Now sometimes you get in a cave because you did stuff wrong. I get that, you get that, right? But it's when I don't even know what's going on. I love Tim Keller, uh, was one of my favorite preachers and writers, and he has a few things to say about um, these times of darkness, among which he says the first one was this, that uh, the, the, the fact that so many of the Psalms and the stories in the Bible include writings of people in darkness and despair. I mean, it, it, it proves that God is realistic. That God, by putting that in the Bible, says, I'm even in those moments with you. I mean, God's not shocked. He knows that stuff happens. Some people have this idea that, well, you know, if I become a follower of Jesus, then everything's going to be good in my life. So I, I want to be a follower of Jesus. I mean, really, that would be an incredible plan, right? Some people preach that that's what goes on, but that's just really not realistic if you read the Bible and you talk to people. Bad things can happen to good people. If you have the expectation that because you're a follower of Jesus or trying your best, you'll stay out of the caves, then you have the wrong expectation. Jesus, actually, never did anything wrong. He was perfect in every way. And he, he was put on a cross, and he was killed. And in fact, Jesus even warned his, his disciples in John 16 and said, hey, by the way, guys, I want you to know that in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. But nevertheless, I, I'm not promising you smooth sailing. You will have trouble. And one of the problems with expectations is if you expect that because you think you're doing everything right, that you shouldn't ever go through a dark time, um, that expectation makes your suffering even more difficult. It's like darkness on the outside and then darkness on the inside. Second thing that we learn from these dark times is that, um, that God actually understands you in your dark times. Um, in your desperation, 
I don't know about you, but I've said some things to God and about God in moments of severe pain and suffering that I, I wouldn't want to repeat today because I could sound pretty insolent and disrespectful. And, and you know what the beautiful thing is that God says, even when you behave that way, I still have grace for you. If you're a mother or a father here today, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but you know, uh, kids, when they begin, begin to acquire words and they begin to communicate, um, I've heard kids, um, I'm, I'm not going to accuse any of my kids, but um, because some of them are here and they want to protect them, but I mean, surely you've heard kids that they don't get their way, they get mad at their mom or their dad, and then they just in desperation say, I hate you, I hate you. Okay, uh, have you ever heard that? Now, in my house, you know, we said, you're not allowed to say that. That's what we would say. You, you're, you're, you're not allowed to hate. You're supposed to love your mom and your dad. Now, what you can say is, dad, I'm so mad at you. Okay, you can say that. I'm just angry at you. Okay, that's acceptable. Sometimes we say the wrong things to God, and God, even in those moments, he has grace for us. Sometimes it's in our darkest times that we have the greatest opportunity to prove the genuineness of our love and devotion to God. You know what the book of Job is about? The book of Job is about a man that was a very blessed man, and Satan comes and accuses Job, and this is the statement, does Job serve God for nothing? Satan says, oh, God, don't you know? I mean, you think Job loves you? You think he goes to worship and praise and sacrifices be, I mean, out of genuine devotion and love for you? And this was the proposal of Job. Oh, God, you take away your protection, you take away your blessing, and he will curse you to your faith. You know what Job is doing, God? Here's what you're mistaken with. You think he actually does love you. He doesn't really love you. He, he does what you want so he can get what he wants. This is a transactional relationship. He does this, you do that. You stop doing this, you just watch. And God says, all right, let's try. And the book of Job is the story of a man who loses absolutely everything. Now, Job didn't always say the right things. And God later in the book corrects him. But at the end of the day, Throughout all of the loss and suffering, pain and confusion, despair and depression, Job says things like, though he slay me, I will still trust him. Job honored God by never leaving God, by continually praying to God in his pain and confusion. He never turned loose of God. You know, if you're going through a disappointing time, a time of defeat, brokenness, loss, do you realize this is the time that you can actually prove that the devil is wrong about you? Because his accusation toward Job is his accusation toward you. Oh God, he, they only serve you because of what they can get from you. But you know, all of a sudden, if things are going very bad, but you continue to pray, and you continue to show up for worship, 
and you continue to treat your neighbor in a right way, you continue to love God in your confusion, you know what you're going to do? You're going to prove the devil is wrong about you, that God is worthy of our praise, and you love him even when you're getting nothing. That's a much more stable way to live life. People who love God when things are good, but then they're disappointed with God and angry at God when things are bad, they've never gone through these journeys and come out on the other end like Job did. I, I've mentioned this before, and Cindy, I remember when you were telling me about when you and Karen were losing your daddy and he had cancer and you said the heart, I, I was somehow okay to lose him but to watch him in agony because in 1976 the pain management wasn't nearly what it is today. And I remember you telling me, I, I, I realized what a wonderful woman you were and I've told you before, that's when I thought, man, I gotta get this lady. <laughs> but you said this, that your dad, when he was in the height of his pain, he would pray a prayer that came out of Philippians 3.10. Oh, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being conformed to his death. And when it was the worst and when there was no hope and when there was no relief, he said, God is so good You know, that is where we need to live. James tells us this, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience and let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And for some of you, you praise and you serve and you worship. And it still hurts. But you will hold on because you have decided God is worthy. You know, David, because he was such a great poet and it such a brilliant man. He opens up his soul to us when he writes the Psalms and he wrote Psalm 34, 57 and Psalm 142 right around this time of being in the cave. Psalm 142. This is what David got right. All is lost. But then he writes this Psalm. I cry out to the Lord with my voice. With my voice to the Lord, I make my supplication. I pour out my complaint before him. I declare before him my trouble. There you go. That's the first step. Are you, are, are you in a moment of despair? You know, God can take it. Tell him how much you hurt. Tell him how confused you are. Tell him how, how troubled you are. He, he's, he, he is strong enough to hear what you have to say. It is important for you to articulate and express the level of your pain, your suffering, your confusion, and your despair. 
Verse 5, I cried out to you, O Lord. I said, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Psalm 34, verse 8, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Second thing is this. Stay open to what God might, might be doing in your cave. Okay? Um, it says here in verse 1, So when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down to him there. Huh. That is hugely significant. Do you know why? Because I wouldn't characterize David's relationship with his brothers and his father's household as being all that affirming and all that wonderful. Remember, David was the son that was overlooked and not invited when the prophet came to anoint one of the sons of Jesse as king. He was the forgotten son, the ignored son. Oh, David, he's not good for much. Just let him watch the sheep on the hillside. And when David went to deliver the bread and cheese to his brothers in 1 Samuel 17, his older brother is just like always annoyed with David. Why? Because he didn't think that he had any value or worth and he wasn't ever going to accomplish anything important. And so now David shows up and David is listening to the taunts of Goliath and engaging in conversation with people around him and expressing faith that God surely was going to help them. And his brother Eliab, he, he he heard what he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was aroused against David, and he said, why did you come here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and the insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. I mean, his brother mischaracterizes him. Do you want to go hang out with that older brother? You know, if the brothers had come around David after he was a hero, the giant slayer, the warrior of Israel, and now ascending to be king, you know, the quality of the relationship may never have gotten very good because if you're the king and all of a sudden the brother who can't stand you is showing up for the photo, who says, oh, I love you, brother. Oh, yeah, right like you always have. But David has nothing. He's in his lowest point, and God gifts him with a rest restored relationship with his brother. It was under those circumstances that healing could be accomplished. You know, in your cave, I would just encourage you to stay open to what God is going to do to restore your family, your relationships, your friendships. You know, David could have stiff-armed his brothers and said, get out of here. But he humbled himself and he was open. And they came in and they helped him. You know, Jesus gives us the equation to be able to always restore relationships in Matthew 6, 12, as he teaches us to pray. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. You know, sometimes we, we, we just get annoyed with people around us. Do you ever get annoyed with people around you? Y'all are so pretty right now. You're, you're saintly sitting there, but I know. 
Do you know that in every relationship that you ever have, it will always involve at least two imperfect, complicated, offending parties? And you're one of them. So Jesus says, hey, here's what I want you to do, okay? Here's every day, every day, every day, every day. Pray, forgive me of my debts. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Is there someone you can't forgive? Maybe you should stop thinking about what they've done and begin where Jesus says and say, God, forgive me for my sins against my brothers, my sisters, my mom, my dad. Because you know, you can't see your sins until you start opening up your heart. But once you see your mistakes, all of a sudden forgiving theirs seems like a lot easier. David, in that cave, experienced great reconciliation with his brothers in his household. Now one thing that you're gonna be tempted to do in your cave of despair is to isolate. You don't wanna be around people. It's normal. Remember this, you've got to go against your feelings and you need to be with people. It may feel like it would be okay to isolate and cocoon yourself, but the real solution is to be in community. You know, when Jesus left, you know what he, he left? He left behind what he calls the church. The word church comes from the Greek word ekklesia, which means an assembly of the people who are following Jesus. Now, I've been a part of these assemblies for a long time in my life, and I, one thing I notice about the people in this assembly is y'all aren't perfect. I'm not perfect. In order to make the relationship work, you've got to have, you've got to have buckets and buckets of grace for each other. You can't be a one and done person. Oh, you said something that offended me. I'm done with you. You can't be that way. You've got to have grace. You've got to ask for forgiveness. And you've got to forgive. And you've got to seek restoration. That's why we come together on Sunday. That's why we have Sunday school and small groups and Bible studies on Wednesdays. That's why we ask you to join a team and help us serve it weller. Because you know what? There's nothing like the fellowship of serving with other people and serving the needs of this community. It's a powerful thing. Lastly, um, God was, was building David's future in the cave. And he's always working in your life. In verse 2, and everyone who was in distress... Everyone who was in debt, everyone who was discontented gathered to him. Oh, great. I'm depressed, and now I'm getting all of these people who are depressed all around me. But David, there were 400 people, 400 men. Life was difficult under the rule of crazy Saul. Life, he was he was angry and unreasonable. He hurt people. He, there wasn't stability in the kingdom because this king could not be trusted. Um, 
So there were a lot of people that were in this category, but 400 of them believed in David and they found him in the cave. And David took this motley crew and he says, all right, now that we're all together here in this cave, let's make a difference in our country, in our community. And they begin to systematically, even they were, though they were unofficial, rescue the people in the villages, in the towns that were oppressed by the enemies. And he, wow. David taught these men how to get on their knees and seek the Lord's direction as to whether or not to go and fight or, or what, should, what they should do. David modeled humility before God and taught them to seek God. You know what David also did? D David also modeled high level of integrity for these men. One night when Saul came into their cave, it's in 1 Samuel 24, amazing story. Saul the king that has been actively hunting down to kill David for years now goes into a key, into the cave. And David and the men are in the back of the cave. And David's men are saying, hey David, look at who just walked in. It's Saul. Oh David, I think what's going on here is God has just divinely delivered him into your hand. Go kill him. You know, you can get wrong advice from people that use God, right? You know what David decided to do? He says, no way. I will not exceed the boundaries of righteousness to accomplish the will of God and become king in my own strength. I will wait for God to make me the king. I will not kill the king. I know he, he's trying to kill me. I know you could all justify many reasons why it would be okay for me to go ahead and end this conflict, but I will not do it. I will live within the boundaries of God's righteousness. David goes and cuts off a corner of the robe of the king. The king leaves. Then David walks out, lifts up the corner of the robe that he had, he had cut off. And he says, king, I mean, by this time, he's on the other mountain probably. You came into the cave. My men said, God had delivered you into my hand. And here is the, your robe, but I did not hurt you. Why do you think that I am against you? I will not hurt you. You can trust me, and I have proven it this day. Saul, in that moment, declares, David, you are a better man than me. David, you will be the king. And what was David doing? He was teaching his army a high level of integrity. So God actually was doing stuff in the cave. You know, one last thing. Um, there's another man who went to a cave. There was another man who was betrayed and left alone. His name was Jesus. 
In Matthew 27, verse 45, as Jesus is on the cross, it says, now from the sixth hour, which would be noon, until the ninth hour, which is three o'clock in the afternoon, there was darkness over all the land. So if you can imagine as Jesus was on the cross. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's what we all say in the middle of our trouble, isn't it? God, have you forsaken me? You know what the truth is? He never has forsaken us because he's already promised, I will never leave you or forsake you. You can trust me. I'll always be there with you. Even though you can't see me or feel me, I'll be there. But there was one man who was forsaken, and that was Jesus. And on the cross, he was actually all alone. Jesus experienced darkness without a friend. And God the Father turned his face away. And he endured that aloneness so that you, in your darkness and aloneness, will never have to be alone. Because God will be with you. Jesus was truly abandoned so that you may only feel abandoned, but no that God is still there and he's still at work. And then Jesus went to a cross. I mean, he went to, a, he died and he went to a cave for three days. And in that cave, he was creating our future because he rose again the third day. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life and then after saying those words he went and paid for it I read the story of a woman who had a chronic illness she hurt every single day of her life and when people would ask her how are you doing today does it hurt are you in a lot of pain today she would respond simply well nothing the resurrection won't cure This is the hope we have. You know, if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, we've had some wonderful uh, testimonies spoken and these people who have gotten baptized because what they have declared to you today is it is possible to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. He will save you. He will change you. If you've never done that, that's what you need. A God who would go to a cross and die for you, who rose again and offers you eternal life. That's our only hope. Would you bow your heads, please?